Welcome to Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd. Whether you're listening live on the Community Radio Network or via podcast, here's the show where you learn from experts, be inspired by journeys, and discover more about making your small business a success. I'm Alexi Boyd, broadcaster, advocate, and small business owner. Let's meet today's guest. So it's been tough for everyone these last 12 months, but conceptually, it's been difficult for those who are largely soldiering on to understand what it means, what it really means to be shut down. We think of the inconvenience, the hassle of wearing a mask, and of course, the hit to our bottom line. But what does it mean when an entire industry worldwide is brought to its knees? Imagine one day you're open and trading as normal with stock, employees, and happy customers, and the next, nothing, zip, nada. Employees sent home with no wages, stock slowly diminishing and everything falling apart. It's like a really, really, really long blackout with severe consequences for everyone and everything you hold dear. So I thought it would be an interesting discussion to bring to the show Sean DeVries. He's a hospitality expert and advocate from Open Pantry to discuss how hospitality is faring in all those months and how we're going to be able to help them into the future. Welcome to the program, Sean. Hey, Alexi. It's absolutely really, pleasure to be on. So thanks for inviting me. That's a pleasure. It's really great to have you. Um, I'm pleased that you've been able to join us. You're, of course, in, I guess you'd call it the epicentre of lockdownness <laughs> in the lovely city of Melbourne. So thanks for joining absolutely. us. We're still at that point where we're not having too many people from interstate in the studio, but I would have loved to have you here. Now, yeah. take me through in a really realistic way, because I think people can tend to kind of brush over the surface with what's been happening and try and paint it with... Um, I guess, a a rainbow brush of happiness and everything's fine, we're going to be okay, Mm -hmm. resilience, pivoting, all that going online. But what's it really been like for the industry? Um, Incredibly tough, you know, and and I'm lucky to, you know, I'm lucky to be on this show with you today. So thanks for inviting me again. And um, I'm very fortunate to to be able to live in a, a couple of different cities across across my you know couple of decades in the industry and and Melbourne's a place which I've called home for the last six years and and during that time have been able to forge some really great relationships with people in the industry and um, having my own podcast and stuff like that as well has allowed me to deepen that and I think it it, it doesn't give me really good insight into what's happened in Melbourne and it has been incredibly tough and and talking to people you know, at the business owners at the start of this pandemic and, you know, that sort of first lockdown that we had here in, in Victoria, um, you know, every all business owners were sort of feeling like they could move forward and they could be, um, uh, you know, sort of, you know, paint paint their restaurants or, or, you know, get some things in line which they needed to. But once that second lockdown hit in Victoria, like it was just, it was just shambolic. And, and what really happened was the community, you know, got together and really tried to understand what they could do together in order to, in order to build the restaurants and the cafes and the venues back up again. Um, but it was, it was really a hard time. Like a lot of conversations about mental health, which haven't happened in the industry. And um, it was just, just a really tough time for everyone. Yeah. So that's interesting that you should say that they kind of came together. Are we talking mm-hmm. a, a kind of an online forum where people would, kind of instinctively bring themselves online as a group to talk through their problems and the practical nature of what was going on? Is that is that yeah. how it actually happened? These sort of groups just popped up online and they were supporting one another? Yeah, most definitely. I think I think Facebook, um, like Facebook groups just popped up out of nowhere. I think, great, um, there's a co-working, hospitality co-working space here called Worksmith, uh, which has a couple of different locations. And when I was talking to one of the founders the other week, um, he was telling me they set up, 
uh, they set up a Facebook group and had 20,000 members quite quickly um, in that first round. So I think it was um, a lot of people going to Facebook and understanding, you know, what was happening because what we had at that time, like if people remember 12 months ago, was just so much different information that was changing minute by minute, coming from local government, coming from, you know, federal government and state government. Um, and obviously the state government was a big part of, you know, um, the communication portal moving forward here in Melbourne and we need to make sure we're getting the right information. But it was coming quite slowly uh, through actual government portals. So I think, you know, Worksmith and also uh, the Restaurant and Caterers Association did a good job in that time as well, like getting out actual um, information to those groups. But what we saw was the hospitality community, you know, coming together and really having a conversation about what we needed to do to support each other, which was, you know, one of the positive things to come out of last year. And you mentioned the first lockdown was um, okay because everyone went, it's like it's like when you have, um, you know, enforced leave and you're like, okay, fine, I'll just get some stuff done around yeah. the house. <laughs> yes. I imagine like, okay, we'll paint. We finally got this chance to do these things and yes. and because yeah. of JobKeeper you could use the staff to get them to do other stuff. But I mm. suppose after the first lockdown you kind of ran out of things to give people to do and then 100%. you've got the whole mental health issue so mm. what were people doing uh what advice would you give to other businesses who might find themselves for one other reason one reason or another in a similar position where they have yes. to stop and down tools how did yes. the industry cope with that i think i think the good operators really looked at you know, the stable people that they had and they thought okay well we have all this talent with inside our business we have JobKeeper which is, um, we have JobKeeper, which is uh, sustaining a lot of our talent. Like how can we use that in order to um, think about our online presence, to think about um, our delivery angles, can we do it in different ways? But, um, you know, we also had a lot of staff who left the industry, which is what we're challenged with at the moment. But I think a lot of the good, um, a lot of the good brands really kept um, a large majority of their team and just utilize them in different different areas and coming out of the other side now which we're which la we're largely coming out of in obviously in Victoria around the country um, as long as we're not in the tourism um, part of the area uh, part of the country um, we're finding that a lot of those a lot of those um, staff who have changed um, formats with inside what they do in the businesses uh, are doing different and better things and those businesses have grown stronger. Um, but, you know, we're definitely at a point now where we're, um, <laughs> we're very challenged for staff across the board. So that's the, that's the new battle. So yeah. then the next step out of this, and I suppose not putting words in your mouth, but what you would expect from government is yes. to actually um, get that support in terms of training. Is that yes. happening? And no. if not, is it the professional associations you would expect to drive it? Is it industry leaders such as yourself? Why isn't it happening fast enough? Um, that's a really great question and I'm starting to sort of crack um, some of that information right now. I think our training as an industry has been behind for decades um, and it used to be really good, um, you know, if I'm, I'm not looking at this through rose-coloured glasses, but when I sort of started it in the late 90s, um, it was really good and, and, you know, TAFE was really good and, and, and our industry training bodies were great. Um, we were getting um, a lot of great talent coming through the industry. Hotels were really um well equipped with great training programs for their apprentices and that kind of stuff. And we're falling, we're seeing that fall by the wayside. So what, what's basically happened the last 10 to 15 years is we've relied on so much great talent come over from overseas um, to come and supplement our industry. You know, in some venues, that's 80% of what, you know, what is working in a restaurant. In some cases, it's around 20%. 
um, also student uh, foreign student labour, which works in a lot of different hospitality venues, especially in CBD. Um, and obviously what happened during the pandemic is the government said we don't want to support those work, those international workers who are paying taxes with inside the country, um, uh, which is, I know they had to draw a line somewhere moving forward with that, but that's what's happened. And a lot of that talent has gone back um, overseas um, or they've, sh they've shifted industries. So they've gone out of hospitality and they've gone into retail or they've gone into distribution or they've gone in some other way and they don't want to come back to hospitality at this point. So um, so a really challenge for staff moving forward. So yeah. the industry is looking down the barrel of quite a big void, not only of people because of uh, yes. international students and then the lack of international labour coming in, but a void of the future training. And I suppose um, very few industries would have such a clear training program and mm. such a history of, of that training that, that you do. So when you see a yes. void happen, um, that must really frustrate you as an industry leader. Look, it's just really tough. I, I think I think as an industry, if we look at if we look at not only the hospitality industry, but we look at, you know, universities and, and, and TAFEs and that kind of stuff and what we're training our people and especially with international um, international students coming through, I think we haven't really thought about what is the training pathway moving forward. Like what are we training these people to do? Not just checking a box and taking um, a good amount of money which people are paying for these, you know, for these training and that kind of stuff. And I think the focus is slowly coming back to an apprenticeships on a national basis, but I think, you know, there's going to be a void there for a, for a long period of time. And I think part of my role and part of my legacy is to make sure that we're training um, and giving people good career options um, in Australia, in hospitality, because I think that um, has come apparent that people don't see a career in hospitality like they might have done in the 90s or early 2000s. Mm, yeah, exactly. It's not a clear path anymore because no. if you take away the training and you take away those, I almost want to say middle management kind of thing where those people yes. leave the industry, then you're left with this mm -hmm. gap um, and mm -hmm. a skills shortage. It's certainly something that is another hit um, which would be unexpected apart from the shutdowns. Talk to me about um, some of the positivities that you've seen come out of the industry. Which sure. of the industry have really succeeded and got through this unscathed? How have they done that? That's a great question. Um, I think obviously we're seeing, you know, we're seeing the CBD markets across the country like being real trouble, right? So if you've got if you've got uh, a venue that's in um, outer city. Um, uh, you know, a great cafe, a great restaurant that's sort of 10Ks out of the city, then you're probably doing really well. Country locations, obviously the same, but their challenge as well to get the talent that they can get to actually run those country venues because um, a lot of people have moved out. Um, and then we're seeing different verticals with inside hospitality come to come to fruition. So obviously delivery has been a big, big part of the market, um, which in a sense has been a challenge because we're relying on, you know, third party delivery to do that. So can we do that in house and can we do that, you know, natively ourselves will be um, part of probably what we'll see in the next 24 months play out. We're seeing that happen in America right now. Um, and then obviously retail products as well, like, you know, doing proprietary limited sources or pastas or um, restaurants becoming their own um, corner stores or in America, they call that bodegas. Like we're seeing that as well um, to be part of brands moving forward because I think local has never been so important. And I think especially in Melbourne where we had 100 days of that second lockdown, um, you know, people couldn't go more than five kilometres from their house, right, for a long period of time. And that meant they had to be hyper-local, which meant they really cared about that relationship they had with their cafe or their restaurant, which meant that those restaurants and cafes broadened out their offering. And I think a lot of... <laughs> 
um, some of those important verticals moving forward. And and what I'm seeing, Alexi, is is those brands keep those verticals moving forward and say, okay, well, we want to do this. We want to do a central kitchen and offer five different products, which we can sell by delivery, or we want a wholesale business where we've never thought of a wholesale business before. That's what's happening with brands who have survived the pandemic with cash and actually see opportunity moving forward, which is a positive thing to see. You talk about the um, the pivoting nature of doing something a little bit differently, like creating um, a product in-house and then selling mm. it online and all that sort of stuff. Yes. Were there yes. any compliance issues that were eased uh, or red tape that was eased that made it easier? Um, mm. And is that still the case? Um, have governments allowed people, to, you know, being a little bit more flexible with what they do with their restaurants moving yeah. forward? Yeah, at this point we saw, uh, so a lot of that is obviously controlled by council and and. And one thing I had to say is like the councils across across Victoria did such a good job uh, during the pandemic by way of things like this, um, and they relaxed a lot of um, a lot of laws to allow a lot of chefs, especially who couldn't get work during that um, during that particular front, uh, first first and second lockdown in Victoria, to do their own products or do their own deliveries from their home kitchens. So that was. Um, relaxed really well, um, especially City of Melbourne um, um, did a really good job around that. I know people personally who started up business during that time. Um, so that, w- that was a really great thing. I see that continuing on, but probably getting a bit more formalised now, like um, councils will come and make sure they're really inspecting sites to make sure their food's safe, which is incredibly important. Yeah, I mean, everything happens in such a hurry, doesn't it? Yeah. (laughs) You just want to get going. You just want to get started. And we all know that in small business, we pivot fast because that's what we've always done and we can make a decision and act on it. But, of course, with red tape around hospitality, that's not always easy to do. Mm. We're going to take a quick break here on Small Biz Matters, listen to some community service announcements. And when we come back after the break, we're going to speak to Sean DeVries a little bit more about um, what governments can do in terms of IR reform or compliance issues at all levels of government to support the industry moving forward. You're listening to Triple H. We'll be back after this. This episode of Small Biz Matters is proudly sponsored by the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman's Office. Led by Kate Carnell since its establishment only four years ago, Aspifio has provided education, advocacy and support, including free assistance if a small business is involved in a dispute. The office also provides assistance for disputes that fall under the franchising, dairy, horticultural and oil industry codes. Kate Carnell, as an independent advocate for small business owners, has the legislative power to influence our nation's lawmakers, ensuring legislation and regulations are put in place to help small businesses grow and in these times, survive. Small businesses are the engine room of the economy and it's Aspifio's role to do all they can to ensure they have the freedom to innovate, employ and thrive well into the future. So this week we're talking to Sean DeVries and we're trying to get some insight into what it's really been like for the hospitality industry, particularly in those areas heavily affected by lockdown, such as Victoria. Now, just before the break, Sean was explaining to me the practicalities of what it's meant to be locked down, how the industry has supported itself and what it needs to move forward. Now, compliance, Sean, is a uh, it's a pretty big um, aspect of being... I guess, live. Oh, sorry, not being live, but, but being alive. <laughs> you need that as part of hospitality. The industry yes. agrees that it's an important part of running a business for safety's sake. But um, what has changed in the last 12 months and, and what would you like to see continue to change moving forward when it comes to compliance? 
That's a that's a great question. I think it I think it's multifaceted, right? Because we obviously, you know, the hospitality industry is outside of, you know, the financial sector is probably one of the most regulated. Um, and obviously because that's, you know, where we're dealing in food safety here. We're, you know, where we need it needs to be important that we're safe. Um so I think from a local come uh, local council perspective, I think they've done a really good job in allowing parklets um, in Victoria across the board and outside dining areas to be relaxed and and those kind of things. And I think the thing that's come out of that is we've realised that hospitality is about community and we're providing something that is um, that not really no one else um, can provide. So I'm hoping that outdoor precincts become uh, a thing which is a spring and summer. Um, um, narrative that always happens um, and, and that councils want to see because it really brings um, um, local areas to life and I think that's a positive for everyone. Um, people have realised what hospitality is. I think from a, you know, a state government level, you know, you talked a bit about IR reform, you know, before the break, uh, Alexi, I think um, we probably need another hour to talk about that but, but really um, IR reform is critical the hospitality moving forward and, and we need to understand as an industry and also consumers need to understand how much it actually costs to run a venue um, and and not only to run a venue but to run it correctly. <laughs> um, you, know, where, you know, we could have an open discussion about wage theft if we wanted to and I don't really want to go down that path too hard because, um, it, you know, it, I don't want to. But, um, but we need to make sure that we're, we're paying people correctly as an industry but it's also fair. Um, and part of that conversation needs to be that, you know, food food prices need to increase as well for consumers because, um, you know, to pay a barista to work on a Sunday is expensive. Exactly. Um, and know, I think people need to To pay them on a public holiday that. is expensive too. Yeah. Pardon? I think people need to understand that. I was, I was at a cafe in Batemans Bay um, over the weekend over Easter and yes. I noticed that they had a sign that said, please understand we put our prices up by 10% because we have to put our wages up by like 10% plus and that's yes. why. Now, mm-hmm. being open and honest with your clientele, is that one of the secret sources to making sure that people understand that there's a, an increase in public holidays? Yeah, I, I think it's definitely part of it, you know, and I, we saw here in Victoria a lot of a lot of businesses closed down for those four days over, over Easter because they're so expensive. Um, you know, to pay a pay a barista on a public holiday over $40 an hour casually is really, really tough, you know? Um, and if, if you're just increasing um, your prices on public holidays and weekends by 10 or 15%, like that can probably cover most of it. Um, but, but really we need to move it even further potentially. So I think, I think we'll see um, in the next 24 months, probably a lot of changes to the industry as a whole because prices will need to go up. Um, as restaurant and cafe owners really understand their business and understand that you know one of the one of the things about sustainability the biggest the biggest thing of sustainability is actually remaining open um, you know and we need to make sure that we're actually making money in order to be sustainable so I think you'll see um, either a lot of brands you know close on Sundays and public holidays or they will increase prices um, by fifteen to twenty percent because that is what we're going to have to do to um, to move businesses forward. I think if I think if I'm to say one thing about um, councils moving forward and one thing I'd like them to look at is the fact that we need to think about how many liquor licenses, how many, well, state government perspective, but how many food licenses we're actually giving out as well. Um, there is somewhat an oversupply of venues in um, especially hot pockets of um, Australia um, and that just creates more competition, which is unsustainable. 
um, and is not good for the industry as a whole. Um, so we need to, I'm not saying like let's, you know, close down 50% of venues or something like that, but we need to make sure that we're not putting too many cafes, we're not putting too many restaurants in certain strips because it just becomes super competitive. Um, it's usually driven down, um, driven down prices, which usually means that you'll get um, uh, business owners potentially not paying their staff correctly or not paying suppliers correctly in order just to get by. And I don't think that's any, anyone wants to see that happen. So that's probably something local councils can definitely look at. But wouldn't that be, I mean, let me play devil's advocate here, but wouldn't the yes. government turn around and say that that's a bit anti-competitive for you to say that we should be restricting the number of new venues that come into an area? It's a good question. That's a really good um, point back. Um, I do agree with you on some point, but I think if you look at certain areas of inner city Melbourne where there hasn't been enough development moving forward in order to um, sustain that, um, I think is going to be really, really tough, right? I can understand if we're talking about, you know, outer suburbs where we've got growing markets, we've got more families going through. Um, that makes a heap of sense to me. It needs to be serviced. But if we're putting, you know, five cafes within, you know, um, 300 metres of each other, like I don't think that's going to really benefit anyone in the long term. So I think we need to just think about where we're positioning these venues. Um, yeah, I hadn't yeah. thought about the fact that it will impede and, and encourage people to move into the cash economy and to become um, yes. competitive in other ways that we don't want them to. And yes. I suppose the issuing of those licences, which I'd never considered, it's a bit mm. of a planning, uh, intelligent planning uh, um responsibility of councils to say we've got yes. X number of people coming in because of a rezoning of an area, therefore we can yep. have X number of cafes. And I suppose in a perfect world they'd all be working to an algorithm, but um, yes. sometimes they're going to get it wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's a tough one to know what the actual proper number is, right? But I think we've definitely seen that in the last um, in the last five to ten years as we've had more residential complexes go up and then ideally three to four sort of retail venues be put underneath, usually one of them is a cafe or a restaurant. Um, and then we're also seeing in popular strips where retail is coming out of those popular walking strips um, because people have moved to online for things like fashion and, and that kind of thing. Um, that's lending itself to more hospitality venues, which is a challenge moving forward. Yeah. Now, I wanted to ask you about something that's a little bit controversial, which is, um, sure. you know, the delivery um, suppliers, mm -hmm. the, the deliveries, the menu logs, the Uber yep. Eats. Yes. I, as a consumer, as a small business advocate, I get really riled up about this because I know sure. the proportion of profit that they take with every yep. order. Um, yep. Plus, they they obviously have a clip from the um, from the client who's paying for the delivery. Mm. Plus, they're you know not doing the right thing by the delivery driver. So, all in all, I mm. pretty much hate that industry. Yes. <laughs> but what I wanted to ask you is, from your perspective. Has that been a positive? Has it been a support to the industry in the last 12 months? And what do you think needs to happen moving forward coming out of COVID? What a great question. Um, let, let's go for the uh, last years first. I think it's been incredibly important for the industry last year. Without, without delivery, some places would not have remained open, right? If, if venues had controlled their own delivery, which what a lot of them did because they had staff who were getting JobKeeper, um, they had done very well and they controlled their own, um, their own platforms through their own websites or other third parties who were just the aggregator for the tech and not actually doing the delivery part. I think that has worked really, really well. Um, but I think what uh, I can see both sides and obviously as we're talking, Alexi, we're also, you know, Uber, Uber Eats is currently, you know, in front of parliament, you know, talking about 
talking about how they want to do, you know, how they want to change the market moving forward and how they're willing to come to the table in order to have a conversation about, you know, their gig workers. Well, that's great um, for their gig workers, but that's yes. not the industry, the hospitality industry that they're yes. still taking a huge chunk of the profit from. So yes. it's kind of, yeah, it supports them and makes them look good in the media. But to me, it doesn't really help the small businesses that they're yeah. thriving off. I agree. Um, it, it certainly doesn't help the industry in the, in the case that they are taking between, you know, 28 to 35% of, of a ticket price, right? So that's normal. Um, if you said that to me, to... Sorry, but if you said that to any other industry, like if you said to accountants, in order yes. to lodge this tax return, the ATO is going to take 25 to 30% of your, of your ticket price. What? Like that wouldn't yes. happen anywhere else. It's been remarkable yeah. how they've cornered this industry like this. But like you yeah. said... It's been a support in the last 12 months. So yes. what needs to, what framework needs to be put in place to protect hospitality moving forward with these guys? I, I think, well, what we're seeing in America is, is a cap, right? So I think um, certain parts of America have said, okay, well, um, 25 or 30% is the highest you can ever go. I think San Francisco or California has gone lower than that. Um, so that's important. Um, but you know, a lot of venues have obviously moved their prices up on delivery rather than having their same, you know, menu price in store. Like a lot of the start, that wasn't allowed, right? So if you were on Uber Eats at the start, they would say your menu price in your venue needs to be the same as delivery, which is stupid, right? Because you're not making any money at all. It's purely just a marketing exercise because you're not making any profit. So I think there needs to be some government regulation by the way of um, making sure that venues aren't charged too much. Um, but also um, the consumers aren't charged too much. So you can have an, a, you know, um, a, a much higher rate or price on, on delivery um, and probably some cap rate on what the delivery price should be as well. So if we take it back and we look at the delivery workers, like it's really important that we, we look after them as well because they are, they are um, making sure that we can get delivery products from a venue into someone's home. They're incredibly important. It's important that they're paid correctly, whatever term that is, and making sure they're safe. So um, they need to be part of the conversation as well. But yes, um, restaurants and cafes have been um, have taken for a ride, uh, pardon the pun, for a long period of time. Yeah, and it's certainly an industry that's done very well in the last 12 months and needs to be giving back to the other industries that it's been relying on for its growth as well. I think it's about time that that happened. Now, yes. I just wanted to ask you, with all these suggestions or changes Small businesses can feel very isolated and apart from yeah. relying on one another for support and mentorship, um, yes. you can feel as though you're, you're basically in it for yourself and nobody else is looking out for you. So when you talk to businesses like that, who do you recommend that they speak to to speak on their behalf in the hospitality industry? Who's the best person for them to join or be a part of and what discussions should they be a part of? Yeah, that's a that's a really great question. And when we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, like, you know, I've been trying to think about who those parties are. So I've, I've thought about the ones, especially in Victoria, but but also nationally who could probably help. Um, in Victoria, obviously, um, uh, Worksmith is a, is a brand which is a co-working space um, for hospitality only. And they've got a couple of venues here. So I encourage people to go to their website and, and have a look at what they're doing because they're putting out great information for, you know, obviously Victoria, but, but also nationally. Um, and then Restaurant and Caterers Association, I think um, uh, a lot of people would know them. They've been around for a long period of time. Uh, a lot of venues, uh, especially higher-end restaurants, would have memberships with them and, and hear them as an advocate. Um, they did a good job uh, in the industry uh, the last 12 months um, 
uh, being going to government and having that direct line about what needs to change and what needs to um, what needed to be put in place in order to protect um, the industry because obviously we had a lot of uh, a lot of venues which went down the last twenty uh, last twelve months so um, they've done a really good job too um, yeah and uh, and obviously government I think government's done done a decent job uh, across the board like the state governments and local governments have done a decent job across the board you know sometimes their information can be quite slow to their to their websites and their portals of communication. But other than that, I think they've done a largely good job and, and they've listened, Yeah, you know, um, largely they've listened. So, yeah. I know that with Service New South Wales, they have, um, even before COVID, they, they, they made a real effort to ensure that setting up a business, the time that it took, particularly because hospitality takes so long with all the regulations, yeah. was reduced yes. to only six weeks. And now yes. they've got um, small business ambassadors who mm. are contactable in every Service New South Wales area. They're dedicated just for small business concierge. Um, yep. And you can ring them directly, which is pretty awesome. Um, yes. So if you're having any problems, but look, it's really important, isn't it? Um, particularly when industry is so hard hit, that they come together, that they form—I don't want to say <laughs> union, such a bad word—but <laughs> but they form a little bit of a partnership with one another, not only for the support, but to ensure that their voice is heard. Um, yes. And what role do, do business leaders like yourself play in that? Sean, um, are you a voice for, for hospitality, whether, regardless of whether or not they're your clients, for instance? Oh, yeah, most definitely. I mean, I'm really fortunate, um, you know, to have to have a podcast, which which I've done for the last three years. Um, and and since, you know, uh, the pandemic happened last year, I decided to really go hard and, you know, record about 100 episodes in the last 12 months. Um, well done to you for doing over 200, by the way. I feel really, <laughs> really bad to be on yeah, today. It took me eight I feel really years, lucky. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, but even still, I feel really valued to be on. Um, and, you know, I'm just a conduit. Mm. Like, we're just, we're just the middle part of conversation, right? And, and part of, I decided last year, like, part of my legacy moving forward is to make sure that I could be the conduit for conversations, positive conversations to happen for our industry. Um, that was really important for me that whenever I decided to leave the industry that I left it in a better place. So I think, um, you know, people like me, people like you, like on, on portals like LinkedIn and on websites and through our podcasting, like are really important to open up those conversations. So um, most definitely. Yeah, awesome. Well, Sean, thank you so much for coming on the program. It's been insightful. It's been interesting. I've learned a little bit more about what hospitality has gone through, but also the positives about what the industry is taking away and how it can move forward. How can mm -hmm. people find out more about what it is that you do? Beautiful. Um, so I've got a consulting brand called Open Pantry Consulting, as you said at the start of the podcast. So just go to um, openpantryconsulting.com. Um, otherwise, the, um, the podcast that I've got is called Principle of Hospitality. Um, so just go to principleofhospitality.com. You can find it wherever you have your podcasts. Um, and we do a weekly podcast, which comes out on a Thursday. Um, so yeah, best way to, best way to find me. Otherwise you can search my name on LinkedIn and contact me that way as well. More than happy to have a chat. Fantastic. Look, Sean, thank you so much for coming on the program. If you've missed any of today's program, you can of course catch up via podcasts on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your small business education, where there are now over 202 podcasts available for you to listen to on all aspects of running, growing, growing and thriving in your business. My name has been Alexi Boyd. Join me next week again here on Triple H 100.1 FM for another a great guest as we learn and grow in our small business journey. Thanks so much for joining us, everyone. I'll see you all next week. This week's episode was proudly broadcast from Triple H Studios in Sydney, Australia, and sponsored by the Office of the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman. 
If you've enjoyed listening, go ahead and give us some thank you stars on your podcasting platform. It would be much appreciated. Then head to the Small Biz Matters website where you can listen to over 170 episodes, read more about our speakers and find out how to become a media partner. See you all next time. Bye.